everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Skeptically Inclined Science Podcast. We're on episode 35. Um, I'm your host, Evan. And I'm your host, Tom. And welcome to a new episode. Um, on today's episode, Tom, you're going to cover our main story today. What, what are you going to tell us, talk to us about? Yes, and to answer that question, I'm going to ask you a question. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what does Deadpool, Wolverine, and the Hulk have in um, common? Well, I know the uh, the Wolf, Wolverine, and Deadpool have the self healing. Yeah. Um, so does the Hulk have the same? It does have the same. So it's all it about oh, yeah. it's all about regeneration. Um, mm. So you correctly guessed. Guessed today we're gonna talk about uh, improvements made in the field of limb regeneration. Mm. I actually thought Hulk was just so strong he never got hurt. Uh, no, it, like he does get hurt, but he has also also like self healing abilities. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's not fair. The, <laughs> well, it's the uh, it's the consequence of the gamma radiation that Bruce Banner was exposed. Oh, okay, to. yeah, yeah. Right. Anyway, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that type of podcast we're on about. Um, yeah, that's what that sounds interesting. All about the field of regenerative medicine and uh, was it limb, limb regeneration? Limb re- most oh, yeah. interesting. So if you lose an arm or a limb, that you, yeah, we on the we on the right way to learn how to regrow it. Oh wow! Well. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, and today I'm just gonna have a brief talk. Our brief news story was um, about the. Uh, there was more news released about our new papers released about the Wuhan, how it was the epicenter of the pandemic start and the origins of COVID-19, like uh, new info came out. And I just want to give a brief talk about it and see what it says and maybe what it doesn't say as well. Um, so I think that'll be interesting. Back to the COVID. Well, I, I think well, I haven't talked about COVID in a while. So I think this is just a kind of a, a nice... A nice int- uh, investigation into maybe how it started. But, like, I think, yeah, it seems like COVID is now on the back burner of every of everyone. Um, yeah. Especially in Just Ireland, I'd say, over there as well, is it? I think uh, war, yeah, is, well, there, war is there the is big... war. Yeah. So... <laughs> it definitely overshadows it. No, and... I've right, seen... Um, what was it? You know, that game... Uh, what's the game again? Uh, <laughs> it's, like, the online one where you... Where you Call of Duty? <laughs> no, it's like uh, it's where Fortnite. You, no, no, it's the uh, when how the world ends and you have to try and get the get world to end. I think isn't it like that kind of a game? So pandemic? It wasn't pandemic. It was uh, oh god, I can't remember. Anyways, we've right. It's like it's a game where you try and like help get the world to end. So I think we've got we've been through pandemic. Now we're through war. I think there's famine as well happening. Well, could happen soon in Ukraine. So I know we're like living uh, through uh, unprecedented times for the last five years, like five years now, but it feels like it. it. Yeah. Well, in the same time, I suppose we are the last people to comment about Mm. war and what is going on. So let's say we just acknowledge that it does happen, but we stand with Ukraine. So yes. Um, and then the other no- news I seen you got a new tattoo as well. Yeah. Wow. Can you yeah, tell I, the people what you got? <laughs> I got, got a really uh, science tattoo because he loves science so much, wasn't it? It's no. <laughs> well, this is not 
I I really like the old school type of tattoos, the way they were made, you know, like just use a very limited number of colors and and uh, sometimes you can see them old school tattoos on old school Americans or bikers and or, <laughs> or sailors and stuff like that. Sailor. So um because I've never been on a proper boat, I didn't feel like I could get a lighthouse or a ship ship or something <laughs> okay. like that, but I really like the the way the straight razor look razor look like with the web and some not not flower why web just to make why it, is there web on it just to make it look cool and busy <laughs> okay. otherwise it would be like rather empty and and what's the, the flowers razor, just yeah just to kind of complement the tattoo and what kind of flower is that is it just a generic flower just a generic <laughs> flower yeah and uh, because, because he's I, so, you know, he knows exactly what he wants i shaved my head bald so <laughs> I thought I can commemorate that with the straight razor tattoo, even though I'm not a barber or anything like that. I like how it looked like. And um, did you yeah. get the did you get the tattoo and then go into the barber and be like, "Hey, look, this is <laughs> you just what I want you free. to use." <laughs> uh, no, I actually I actually do my head uh, yeah, yeah, by myself sorry. now. I have the right equipment, and uh, yeah, and I was uh, I was craving for to get something for a long time, so I saved some money and I. I talked to the artist, we exchanged ideas, I told him what I want. And yeah. I said at the start that, that like I'm artistically De- challenged. Deficient. Deficient. And uh, yeah, and he helped me out. We discussed, we talked about it, and then I showed up uh, and three, it took three hours to get it done. Wow. And that's it, yeah, and now it's healing. So yeah. I'm supposed to, I'm not supposed to go like heavy exercising and anything like that just give some time to heal and it's gonna be all mm. good yeah can i recommend something yeah because i don't think you know i've started uh i've started my journal when i write my thoughts oh yeah and uh, i've been quite i've been quite regular with this and uh, there is some there are some gems in there i have sure. to tell uh, straight from the start and um, part of it is kind of this description of my day and what I thought about people that I can't tell other people about it. Okay. So I just write it down. And part of it is uh, just kind of thoughts I have about different things that I think about throughout the day. Hmm. Because sometimes my thoughts are like really like smart, but I forget them. <laughs> yeah. But now I have everything written down. And I don't know if you can do this. Maybe, maybe I don't know how good your, your Irish is. But like what I do, I write, I write in two languages in the same time. I write in Polish and in English. So if I want write something that an English speaking person can decipher, I use Polish. Oh right. And the other way around, you know. So it's kind of this double layer of security. Well, so, like uh, that's you're thinking of it already being discovered as a bad thing. Like I don't know. It's I well, I think about it as being discovered and getting published at some point. <laughs> po- hopefully after my death. Yeah. That's so how then, you like become immortalized. You know. So um, then why worry? Because I want people to spend some time in deciphering <laughs> my mind, you know? I don't want it to be just like, you open up Easy. and you read it's like, all right, yeah, that's it. Like add something to it to make it more interesting, you know? And they go, at least I want them to spend at least like five years deciphering, like, oh, okay. what did he mean? And then, you know, they're just gonna publish it out and it's, and my children, this is like, you know, I just want to leave something for a them. bestseller. Yeah. yeah like yeah, some kind yeah. of James Joyce. <laughs> Exactly, like James Joyce, or they are, say, you know, Mark Aurelius, the Roman emperor who left meditations, okay. which is like, you know, that's what I'm that kind guy. of, that's the kind of legacy I want to have, like, you know, thousands of years into the future. 
that kind of thing you know okay just i'm sure start, start a journal uh, yeah start a journal <laughs> okay let us know if you uh how your journal do you do something similar do two two languages to hide <laughs> hide the identity of the people you're uh complaining about <laughs> you have to be smart about this not to complain just thoughts about them you know do you give actually the people different names so they don't know who you're on that's <laughs> <laughs> so, i will i will start including that as well uh, i haven't done that yet yeah i just called and then it another layer so they're like okay well listen him who does that mean yeah i don't want to make it too hard for them though because i do want it <laughs> i don't to think be people i don't think people will care honestly <laughs> Why are you always <laughs> shitting on my dreams? <laughs> like I'm like a realist. Okay. Okay. Tell Anyways, us tell us about the origin of COVID. Yeah, so um I think uh maybe from I suppose maybe the background was uh we all know that the epicenter of the this pandemic appeared to be the Wuhan Mer- Wuhan and then it was this market in uh Hunan, it's the Hunan market. Um, but there was a lot of, um, I suppose, conspiracy or like alternative thinking, if you want to call it that, uh, that it maybe didn't start there and that it might have um, been a lab leak. So there was three papers, one really, I suppose, bigger paper that kind of showed that actually it most probably was more, sorry, most probably more likely that it was the market that was the epicenter for the pandemic. So... But it worth it is worth mentioning that the lab li- the lab is like literally behind the corner from the market. Yeah, well, I suppose that is the t- that is the odd. It's a very odd coincidence, and yeah. the fact that this, this <laughs> coronavirus center is in Wuhan, where it's um, the epicenter happened. Yeah. So but, I just want to just justify that it's not that people just no, started. I think it was it was dismissed very much, and then it they, it came back again that like, oh, why are we dismissing this so much? Maybe we should give a bit more uh, yeah. uh, investigation into this. Um, but like there is some validity to it. It's not like this lab yeah. is non-existent anywhere. Like yeah. It is there and it you is, work on coronavirus. Yeah, no, I won't, I'm not going to go into the whole story of yeah. like this whole lab. Like, what yeah. I would say is that one of the things was what the the scientists that came out and said it wasn't a lab leak. There was a guy, his name is like Peter, I don't know how it is, Dasik or something like that. And it was interesting because he was involved in the research being carried out at the Wuhan and it was complete conflict of interest to say, oh, it's not no way it could have been leaked. So I think that was why there was more like, oh, why is he denying this one? He doesn't know. Yeah. Anyways, Anyways. I'm just going to look at it from these papers point of view. So there were these three studies. They reveal intriguing new clues about how the COVID-19 pandemic started. Two of the reports traced the outbreak back to a massive market that sold live animals, among other goods, in Wuhan, China. And uh, a third suggests that the coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 spilled over from animals, possibly those sold at the market at least twice in November or December 2019. These are preprints, so they haven't been peer-reviewed just yet, just so you know. It could be something changed by the time this comes out. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I said I was was originally kind of more leaning to the lab leak, but I think after looking at these papers, I think I'm more like, okay, I think it is more likely a natural um, Okay, so you have to convince me. 
because I'm okay. hard. I'm gonna die. I, I'm willing to die on that hill. That it's uh, lovely. <laughs> lovely. Okay. Yeah. So just to remind people, in early tr- January 2020, I, people forgot about the pandemic already. <laughs> um, yeah, Chinese authorities identified the Hunan market as a potential source of a viral outbreak because most people infected have been in uh, there in the days before they showed symptoms. Hoping to stem the outbreak, the market was closed and samples were taken from animals at the market, as well as drains, cages, toilets and stalls. Um, a report by the World Health Organization showed that all, all of the nearly 200 samples collected from animals were negative, but that 1,000 environmental samples were positive for SARS-CoV-2. So they never were able to track um, where it came, what animal it came from, but mm-hmm. they were able to say that it has been in the environment circulating around there so this kind of points that maybe the market was the source of the outbreak um yeah and it but like none of the stories contains definite evidence about what type of animal might have harbored it before it spread to humans um these one of the papers speculate that it may be raccoon dogs they're using fur and food in china and they were a raccoon dog is that a dog that looks like a raccoon or a raccoon that looks a, like a, a dog? raccoon? It's a, rac- a type of raccoon. That's okay, all I okay. kind of know. <laughs> okay, so it's just type of raccoon. Yeah, okay. uh, look, Google it if you're interested. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's no point in me trying to describe it no. on a, <laughs> the podcast. Um, yeah, it was sold in the section of the market where several positive samples were collected. This raccoon dog, um, mm-hmm. but it still doesn't really rule out that the market was an amplifying effect rather than the source of the virus. So these this evidence is just saying it was in the market. We think it could have been the start, but we have no idea of maybe if it was just being amplified because so many people were at the market. Right. So a team in China have now sequenced genetic material received from these positive samples and released the results in this preprint. The scientists confirmed that the samples contain sequences that are almost identical to those that have been circulating in humans. So the, it's uh, it looks very likely that they did come from the market originally. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, they showed that two original virus lineages circulated at the start of the pandemic, and they were called uh, lineage A and lineage B. So I didn't know this, so there was actually two lineages they identified from mm-hmm. the markets. Yeah, and these both were present there. Um, so what this means is that after this, two other papers they focused on the southwestern section of the market where live animals were sold Uh, and one major finding is the mapping of five positive samples from the market to a single stall that sold live animals and more specifically like these metal cages that to carts that were used to move or store animals and this so this was one of the papers and the second paper it was concluded that lineage a and lineage B were too different from each other to have evolved into the other in humans. Uh, and so they suggest that the coronavirus might have evolved in non-human animals and the two lineages spread to humans separately. So it's really w- interesting that they say that uh, somehow these coronavirus was in an animal uh, and then there was two diff- separate events where it spread from the animal to humans because the coronaviruses are so different that it yeah. couldn't have been just that it um, it was only one and then went to humans. That it had to come from a, two different sources and then spread to humans separately. Um, so it's like something that we mentioned two weeks ago about the HIV, right? The HIV 1 and 2, that one comes from chimpanzees y- yeah. and the other one from completely different True, species. yeah, that's, yeah. that's it. Like That could have been exactly how it is. Um, okay. This suggests that the coronavirus 
Um, oh yeah, sorry. Because lineage B was much more prevalent in January 2020, the author suggests it skilled it spilled over into humans before lineage A. So mm-hmm. this is why it kind of took hold more than lineage A, um, because it spread much more quickly. So taken all together, it's speculated that uh, raccoon dogs could have been infected on a farm that sold at the markets in Wuhan, and then the virus jumped to people handing handling them or to the buyers. Then on two at least two different occasions, these um uh these infections could have spread from an index case to other people. So it would have jumped from animals to humans and then it fraud sp- started spreading from human to human. Um but this must have happened in two different again, two separate occasions. Um but it also speculated that two spillovers may not have occurred, but the virus might have um evolved from one lineage into another mm-hmm. in a person who's immunocompromised. I think this is actually a really would for to me it seems more like a logical one because like for two different events that seems super uh rare for that to happen yeah and yeah. we've seen already with um these variants that has occurred like a lot of these have happened in immunocompromised people so maybe this um this crossover from animal to human happened and most people they would have been able to like didn't cause any infection or any symptoms but then it could have uh it just took that one. It took know, that person, person to like. Uh, it couldn't really clear the virus, and it somehow evolved. Uh, yeah, it to pro- it to start being infectious and causing disease in in people. Um. Uh, of course, more data collected from people and animals is needed, really, to answer if this is possible. But um, to see if this maybe had been circulating in patients. Are people prior to that break so you would really want to look at a lot of patients uh, samples from 2019 seeing if there's any of this virus possibly yeah. circulating um, but unfortunately additional testing may never really materialize uh, last July for example Chinese officials said that they plan to analyze patient blood samples from 2019 stored at the Wuhan blood center but if that study has been conducted it has yet to be made public so Again, we can only really speculate, but they're just saying there's so much, much of this um, virus present in the market that they think it either was the start of it or it was very much linked to it. Um, so that's that's what these papers are speculating. What but do you think? Just because it, it was linked to the spread of coronavirus, it, like all I, as someone in the lab could bring it into the market. Yeah, you know no, I mean? it doesn't rule it out, no. Yeah, that's... No. Uh, and... Yeah, it's kind of these raccoon dogs. Uh, before, it was, what, a bat? And what was the interme- uh, intermediary species? No, that was, it would have been a bat to the raccoon dog, to the Okay, because I thought it was one pan- pangillion, I it thought. It could have been... A, true, actually, I suppose I don't, I don't think they know, really, but it could yeah. have been something intermediate to get okay. into raccoon dogs. This is... Um, I think, I think the only thing that we can say for sure is that the lack of transparency and the ability to conduct tests and experiments yeah. in that region of the world really hindered our ability to understand how it started. Yeah. And it just fuels this, uh, this conspiracy uh, part, you know, because we're coming up with more and more theories and, and hypotheses. We're coming up with more hypotheses based on this kind of uh, scared limited of evidence that we have 
Yeah. And you know, that's why it gives, that's why there are so many of them because, you know, the lack of transparency from the Chinese government doesn't really allow us to see why it really happened. Would that be correct to say? Yeah, no, like there's still a lot of unknowns, really. I do think this sounds much more plausible, though, than a lab leak, I think, personally. I think this would be make more logical sense that it happened in an animal and it somehow managed to spread to a human rather than somehow a virus escaping from a, a lab. Um, the only thing I would say is, because uh, I was looking at this, um, these pa- reports mm-hmm. and these papers, there's still some questions that aren't really, ans- like haven't been answered. Like there was reports of COVID being reported in patients that weren't even associated with the market. So still don't know how they got it if they were never at the market. And the second thing is with SARS, the original SARS and MERS, like you can clearly track how it evolved to gain these mutations to become, yeah. uh, so like to get this cleave S1 and S2 cleavage point so that it become infectious. Um, you can see for the previous coronaviruses, that caused um, epidemics, you can see how it evolves. Like, this just appears as it is now. Like, it doesn't, there's no previous, like, oh, how it, it gained this mutation, then again, this one, and again, this one, then became what it is. It just appears as it, it is now. Appears. And it's like, that doesn't happen, like, out of nowhere. Something has to, like, it ha- we should be able to see it evolve into that virus as it is now. And they don't have an animal to track that as it is and it's just like how is it appearing ready-made as it is like it just it's super unusual um and it's just like where how did it get this cleavage s1 s2 point like they don't have no other coronavirus has this um so i just think i i do think it was most probably an immunocompromised person it just random mutation and how it got that's how it got it because it just be weird why would it suddenly gain that in an animal when it wouldn't necessarily be beneficial to it. So that's so, just so what I want to say. So you reckon there was some um, cross-species contamination uh, where th- that the human got an animal coronavirus and in that inside that human, it started mutating into the version that caused the, that, that, that gave the start to the pandemia. What, sorry, say that again, what, what did you say? So you're saying that there was this, there was this random coronavirus in an animal that has already undertook some yeah. mutations that spilled over into the human landed in some immunocompromised person and that's where the rest of its evolutionary pathway I, happened I, 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 this is purely speculation yeah, but I, yeah. I think that's what I would think but okay can I tell you what I think yeah I think that uh, employee B didn't wash his hands or her <laughs> hands properly before clocking out, went to the market, uh, saw a good old friend, exchange hugs, handshakes, and um, that's how it happened. But why was there, like, why was it on the cages? It just, like, happened to, like, do you think they were just touched, they, someone... Maybe, like, sometimes when I, when I walk, when I go from one of my walks, sometimes I just put my hand out and I just touch, touch like, the side of the wall with my hand. Mm. as i'm walking i don't know like it um i wouldn't be surprised if the i'm not saying that someone purposely went to the lab and like sneaked it out like a jurassic park kind of <laughs> a situation i'm just saying that you know accidents happened and just this one kind of locked everyone down for two years 
yeah. I look. I suppose it's just annoying. We can't really yeah. dismiss yeah. either one. We still don't know. No. The Chinese government's not really willing to Helping. release any more no. info about it. And yeah, it's just like... But at the same time, that's nothing really suspicious because they, they never were willing to... No show these secrets so it's not like they hide in something purposely it's just <laughs> yeah. it fits the pattern of the previous behavior they yeah. showed it's just a pity as well like when they're so adamant of like it definitely wasn't but like can you not give us more evidence to show that it wasn't yeah like, gave us something to, to and help. it's not i'm sure like some people would start pointing fingers and blaming blaming different people for what happened but for us is well for us for the people who work on it it's mostly to understand it better and to prevent it right yeah yeah it's, it's not to point fingers and no it's no. it's too late now it happened the, mi the milk is spilled yeah look so yeah because if we can figure out how then maybe just to change these practices and help yeah stop it in the in the future and understand no, where the source was so Look, no, I uh, understand. It's, well, we it's can. Us. Um, that's all we can really say for now, and uh, hopefully, we might get. I, I still think we'll never really get to the bottom of it. It's just, I just hate that we can never. How <laughs> we cannot find the animal source? How is that possible? It's just I crazy. Know. Like they have all these samples, and like, still don't know. So it's just. Maybe they don't want to tell. I maybe. don't know. See, the, the, you start making like suggestions, right? Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. And yeah, but I, and, I was, this is just some. Started. Anyways, this is just some evidence, and um, it was at all was interesting just to kind of discuss the whole yeah. topic. So I'm sure I, it's gonna get discussed into many years into the future. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It doesn't yeah. look like we're gonna find out what happened anytime soon. No. Okay, that was uh, that was our. Uh, it it might this my news headline about the, the origins of COVID nineteen. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for uh, reminding us, Evan, that there's still a lot of unanswered questions. Even though it seems like the world is coming out out of it now. Yeah, it seems like it won't be long before people be like, "What pandemic?" Yeah. Even though we're still in the pandemic, it's not over yet. But yeah, we're like, well, remember when that what happened? Um, yeah. So like, uh, surprisingly, uh, uh, a lot of people in in my department started getting COVID and stuff like that. And yeah, place just looks a little bit empty now. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what can you do? Uh, it's part of life now. <laughs> yeah. It is. In Ireland, actually, now, if you um, you don't need to get, uh, if you get symptoms, I don't think you, if you're under 55 and you're not immunocompromised, you don't need to get a COVID test. You just have to stay at home. And does your hospital has a different rules compared to the rest of the country? Yeah, the hospital would because you'd have to tell them I have symptoms. They most probably will let you go, have to. You'd have to go in. So hospital is more strict. Yeah. Whereas I think it would a regular work. If you had symptoms, to say I have symptoms and just stay at home yeah. till you feel better. I think that's no, how they're doing it. Rather than getting tested for everything. For every time yeah. you have symptoms like i think you can still do it if you want but you don't have to because our hospital is also stricter than what than the guide the, the gu guidelines the recommendations from the government so yeah. i just wanted to see if it's it yeah. seems like it's across the across the continent yeah okay so okay. um yeah are you ready yeah let us know how let it <laughs> so tell us how do we get our limbs back how do we grow yeah, our limbs? I know. Can, when can i start chopping off my limb and regrowing uh, 
Yeah, that was this. Uh, there was this idea about, um, you know, like uh, there are these mixed martial arts when the people fight in cages. Yeah. So someone joked around that once we get the technology up to speed, that we are able to regenerate limbs in the in the matter of hours or days. <laughs> they should have like uh, competitions with swords and knives, oh where they chopping each gosh. other legs and arms, and then you just you don't really suffer that much because you can regrow it, but. Um, I don't know. I think it'd still be very painful both oh, ways. Oh, definitely. So, but, <laughs> but it'd be like a, it'd be like you know, back to the ancient Rome to gladiators, and they don't necessarily have to die. But anyway, I, I just. I think the you're more likely to get stabbed and blood loss than lose a limb. <laughs> That's how you would. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you don't stab each other, but it's mainly about like chopping off the limbs and stuff, you know. Okay. <laughs> but I, di- I digress. That's not point. This is not why we want to do the limb regeneration. Okay, yeah. not not to f- not fuel mindless violence. Um, what? Maybe I just want to say for anyone there who doesn't know what amputation is, it's the removal of the limb by trauma, medical illness, or surgery, and. It is like now being seriously, it actually impairs the physical function and mobility of these people that are affected yeah. uh, by it. And, you know, although it could be a form of treatment, it still has some negative um, after effects linked to it. Like, you know, there's this whole thing that making public spaces more accessible for you know, the disabled people and um, and stuff. So, yeah, it, it is an issue. And um, one of the most common identified conditions that lead to the limb loss is a peripheral vascular disease. And that is associated with the limb loss uh, in high income countries. So that's, for example, conditions like diabetes also fall under under that bracket. However, in the low and middle income countries, you see trauma has been been documented as the primary cause um, for limb amputation or limb loss. And it just shows the difference, right? We don't really have to worry about violence and, and stuff like that. It's more kind of a lifestyle choices, perhaps, yeah. that lead to these uh, outcomes, whereas places In less lower, well off. Yeah, yeah they can't really the, do that. No. Um, and I'd say, cause, I'd say it's mm-hmm. with like war as well as like going out to fight wars is the big main reason, I'd say. so. Yeah, I mean, the, the number of veterans in states... Um, that, and they are, they are young people, like, you know, young men and women that just, you know, they went off to war and and now they have to deal with, like, perhaps they might not have legs or arms because the a landmine blow up when they were in the car. It's, yeah, it's yeah. really horrible. And not only that they have these mental, psychological uh, problems associated with being exposed to war and violence for so long, they also are physically disabled. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just tragic. So that's why there is a need uh, first to understand how the limb regeneration happens and then ask a question to what extent we are able to actually translate it over into form of therapy. Um, so just to put some numbers on it. So there are around 2 million limb amputees in the USA and there is 185,000 amputations performed annually. In Europe, the number is also similar uh, to what is in America. And a number that I saw being repeated is that uh, for America, at least, the amputees is projected to increase to 3.6 million by 2050. So it seems like this trend is just... Per year. 
Uh, no, overall. Uh, in overall, it uh. seems like the trend is just going to increase rather than uh, rather than than decrease. And of course, in America, there is a there is a huge number of patients that are veterans of the Iraqi Afghanistan war. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. As we have said, uh, they they lose the limbs. And so far, the the answer to that was prosthetics. So patient could use uh, patient could use that. And what and what patient wants from from their prosthetics is that they want them to be durable, uh, high functioning, and that would actually allow them to pursue active and independent lifestyles. Uh, however, so far the uh, the attempt to replicate the appearance uh, and functionality it's kind of diverging. So you can get really well a prosthetics that look really realistic, and you know. At least you won't be get maybe the 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 eye look, the, you know, people staring at you, which I would find also uncomfortable. But we're still lagging behind in terms of the uh, functionality. Yeah, that's because I like from just like as an outsider looking in, it seems to me that it'd be easier to improve like what um, kind of Neuralink is doing with the whole using your like get a prosthetic that you can control with your mind rather than regrow a limb. Would that not be fair to say? Yeah, but as I was looking, I was looking a little bit into the current uh, trends in prosthetics, so it's not really that sim simple. And also there were some, the Neuralink looks good on the paper, but I think there were some controversies coming out with their research as well in, in the way they have performed the research on animals. Oh, yeah? Is that they, it doesn't really, it's not really that simple, that, that it sort of, qualifies under animal abuse what they did to these animals to have to reach the results they have okay. so it could be this could be further away than we than we initially thought whereas you um, think that re regeneration might be more feasible well no i think what the what i will show today with okay. this paper that i will discuss is i don't i think there is still a lot of questions that have to be answered and but i think at least we have a certain understanding of uh, how this happens because you can't really start using it as a treatment if you don't have a baseline understanding of what pathways and uh, what pathways and what processes are involved in limb regeneration. And I think there is the same. I think the distance between the neuralink and the limb regeneration, it's kind of it's gonna take a long time because yeah, neuralink. What they're trying to do is literally map the brain, right? Mm. and and develop and figure out the pathways that are responsible for something or or you're gonna try to train your thought patterns to 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 perform a function and on the other hand you're actually trying to study and and replicate limb regeneration so both of these things seem to be very complex yeah and it's not that Neuralink's be able to do it in the next five years you know i, I just that's that's the feeling i'm okay. having um but actually the patient patients they have much more "Quote unquote mundane problems and real life problems with their prosthetics. You know, it's a, uh, it's something that is, for example, re related to sweating and the uh, limb atrophy and like these kinds of these are the things that they find problems with prosthetics more often. That they uh, they get bruising around the oh, the yeah. side of amputation because of the prosthetics. If you have um, one of these prosthetics that are moved using your muscle contractions, so you have like a like a um if you got your arm pads arm. you have like pads attached to your muscles and then you can con right. you can flex your muscles 
And then that would send a signal to the prosthetic, for example, like a limb prosthetic to move up and down your arm. But like some with the sweat, these these electric pads can slide off and like the connection is not so not so good anymore. Uh, so these are really these kind of basic basic I issues that they have uh, with the prosthetics and it's of course we can discuss this more complex uh, problems that like for example scientists and engineers sees but we also should remember that the patient patient experience is also important you know in 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 a development of a, something that they could use so there is a lot so the prosthetics although for what good they are there is there, there's still some negatives to it and that's that's i think another reason why you know some people want to actually study the limb regeneration versus just putting all money into like oh let's make the best the most functioning prosthetic ever and of course i want to also mention that there are things um like limb transplants that you can actually oh, take yeah. a have a cadaver and take a hand off yeah. and try to transplant it into the human i will not say much about the science behind that because that's another cuttlefish but what i want to say is that although followed by a requirement for a long lifelong immunosuppression therapy and the patient's difficult psychological acceptance of the dead donor hand so this is like i think this is one of the drawbacks of this you know that the patient has to be immunocompromised no for, yeah, yeah for the and then you do use the hand that doesn't belong to you so yeah, yeah. god knows how this feels inside your head yeah, like, you know yeah, yeah. like some Definitely. people some people's have thoughts about you know living with the heart on the lung of a other person that is deceased you know yeah. they can say like oh i feel you know different psychological things and yeah. you don't even see a heart of a lung yeah and then yeah. imagine that you're waking up every day and and you're looking at your hand and you know it's not yours <laughs> like how how does this feel inside yeah. your head like you know what kind of problem this gonna lead to so they are so there's multiple reasons uh for what for what for why we need why there is a need to pursue limb regeneration research and it's very hard to study this in humans uh because we we don't really have this ability uh, at any point really in our life to be able to regrow lost no. limbs so that's why we have to use animal models um yeah, so the complex nature of organ and tissue regeneration in the aspects of um, of limb remodeling, which takes into like the space and time that it takes uh, to do it, it demands extensive animal models to understand these processes, this regenerative mechanism, and eventually you would hope that this will transfer into a clinical practice. So, what kind of animal models are used for? Well, can I ask study? before? Yeah. like, what do you mean by organ regeneration? Is it literally? or sorry, organ regeneration, limb regeneration. So basically you're literally regrowing the limb that's yeah, lost. But, yeah, but as I was reading it, you also, there's not some amphibians. So these are the animal models that I use more often yeah. in studying the limb regeneration. Some amphibians are actually able to, to regrow organs as well. Like oh, okay. lungs and livers and what's not. They actually, they have this innate ability within them that if they lose, something they are able to regrow it in the very short space of time yeah, yeah. so you know if you there is but the, a, are there these is mammals as well like is that like well in the um, there is a specific type of mouse it's a genetically modified mouse it's okay. called 
It's called Morpheus Root Large. Morpheus. Yeah. <laughs> From Matrix. <laughs> Morpheus. Morpheus, not Morpheus. Oh, Murphy's. Oh. Morpheus. Morpheus Rot. And Some Irish mouse, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Find up in the fields of Sligo. <laughs> and no, it's actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, where all the radioactive waste is. <laughs> you know, it's, it got this uh, regenerative. Got this ability. Uh, yeah. It's not a great ability. It's able to regrow a tip digit of it uh, on the paw. If you oh. amputate uh, the, the the digit on the paw, it's able to regrow it. But that's still that not as impressive of uh, as to what the uh, what the amphibians can do, like yeah. a salamander or something. There are rat models that are used to study um, uh, nerve regeneration. Apparently, certain rat models are really good to study how the nerve n- n- nerve tissue grows and and develops. Uh, and also read that horses are used to study cartridge uh, or joint regeneration or something like that. I'm not yeah. really, I'm but not I'm really just saying, sure. yeah. Oh, wait, I suppose joint. Yeah, it's just like how much can you translate this to humans? Because it's like they're completely different species to us. I know. So I suppose but like, that would be a good question to ask. I suppose yeah. This is. Um, you can just at least give us some uh, like science point anyways and see if it is possible. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So I just yeah, as I mentioned, the the most appropriate animal model to study is actually amphibians, and uh, one of them is uh, this animal called axolotl. I don't know if you know how they look like. They're no. like lizard-like creatures that 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 they live in the rivers and. It, wet environment and they have this kind of thing growing off their necks they've i think if you see it on the, oh, on the image it's just like they when they're like th- getting threatened they kind of like it's like jurassic park is it no the thing pops <laughs> yeah. out another reference to jurassic park yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> it's something like that yeah okay um but in, as all we need to know is it's an amphibian uh, and it's a vertebrate uh, animal model so there is like some sort of connection uh um, with us because we are vertebrate environment uh, animals as well it wouldn't really make sense to like study regeneration in animals yeah. like cockroaches and stuff like that yeah. because they completely different lineage yeah. so yeah so these uh, animals like uh, oxalots um, they uh, there are some facts here oxalots can complete regenerate near perfect copies of severed limb with average occurrence of muscle tissue defects of merely 2.5% in regenerated limbs so they're like really good at regrowing mm. regrowing their own stuff as as it said to the ner- nearly perfect copy and uh, they have this ability to form structure known as blastema so this is something that we will come back to uh, this blastema which is really important and yeah so now the question is how far can you take this uh ax- um, axolot and is this the best the best model to uh, to study limb regeneration since this animal already has this ability yeah. so it's not you're not really challenging the animal it literally does what it's meant to do so now in this paper that i will talk about which was published in the science Advan- uh, science advances um paper journal they actually used another um amphibian its latin name is xenopus levis but is but is more commonly known as African clawed frog. Okay. So it's a it's a mature um, mature frog, and they um, 
the, this African clawed frog exhibit modest tissue renewal, they have few pluripotent stem cell pools, and an age-dependent decline of regenerative ability that is similar to that of a human finger amputation. So there is some similarities being drawn. The regenerative abilities are much more developed before metamorphosis, which means at the tadpole stage, they can regrow uh, limb parts of body if they lose it. But once they meta metamor once they turn into a frog, yeah. this this starts declining, and by the time they reach maturation, it's, it's this it. ability is, is impaired, severely impaired. Yeah. So the temporal restriction of regenerative competence makes the African clawed frog an ideal model system for determining characteristics that enable or inhibit regeneration. Because with this animal model, it's like they could regenerate. So within their biology, this oh, system yeah. already exists. It's just they losing it once they get mature. So it's trying so to switch it back on. Yeah, you're trying to switch it back on so you can study and you can see what is important. Another, another uh, important thing for this paper was the use of biodorm. A biodorm is a wearable bioreactor that allows for control over the local microenvironment of the wound. This biodorm also allows for controlled release of compounds that are able to trigger and sustain endogenous cascade without subsequent intervention or continuous micromanage micromanagement. So this biodorm, you can imagine it as a a form of uh, a cast that you put uh, on on top of the wound yeah and this and this quote unquote cast uh, has yeah. certain properties that enable or uh, activate this regenerative. Um, regenerative ability that is not present anymore yeah and the last thing that I want to uh, explain before getting into the um, into the top into the uh, results of the paper is blastema this is that's something that I mentioned before that these amphibians had very they're very good at creating blastema, and it is a tissue structure that forms at the site of the wound closure. It is an accumulation of a mass of undifferentiated cells, which is the source of the new tissue. Mm. So they actually they don't heal the wounds the same way as humans do. You know, it gets really. Uh, you create a clot, you try to patch it up as soon as possible, loads of fibrosis is happening to close the wound, and it just doesn't give the enough time for this undifferentiated, these pure stem cells to find themselves at the point of wound injury and start, you know, getting all of this necessary signaling mm. to start forming into this desired tissue. What, what happens to us, we just form a scar. Yeah, right, yeah. and if you have a small wound, this scar tissue, you can't really tell it is there, but with the huge ones, wounds you can actually tell that there is a scar tissue being formed yeah, yeah. and um and i also wanted to mention the um the multi-drug cocktail that is used together with the biodorm so these are there's a five compounds they used in this paper that actually um, kickstart the regeneration uh, one of them is they had they used growth hormone and it has been shown that growth hormone supports limb regeneration in, an, in different animal models in multiple studies. And that goes back into even 70s or 80s when these studies were done. Another thing is a brain-derived nootropic factor. It's been shown that uh, peripheral application of exogenous brain-derived nootropic factor promotes regeneration of sensory neurons and functional recovery. Another compound is 1,4-DPCA. And this is um, this DPCA is an inhibitor of prol hydroxylase, 
and this prolohydroxylate degrades hypoxia-inducible factor 1a. So when you use DPCA, you promote expression of HIF1, this hypoxia-induced factor, and this hypoxia-induced factor 1 protein, it promotes increased vasculture. So what you're doing is like you around the Maybe. around the wound, you're promoting development of new vascular vasculature. So no, there's more nutrients being developed to the uh, to the wound, and you know rather than closing everything down and sealing it up, you're you're actually encouraging blood flow to the to the area. Resolving 5D, it promotes anti-inflammatory responses and also reverts inflammatory response back to a non-inflamed state, just to maintain the homeostasis of the of the area of regeneration. And retinoic acid, it's a type of a molecule that is known to act over long distances, and it has been established as a key player in vertebrate limb development. So, so, so this is the five compounds that being released by the biodorm uh, bioreactor. So, <clears throat> just look at the results, and the first thing that I want to talk about is that. Um, the hind limbs of the animals were amputated. So you get your frogs, you cut the hand lips, and you have you have three you have three groups. You have a group that was not exposed to the biodorm. I'm gonna call it bioreactor. You have the animal group that was not exposed to bioreactor. So you just cut the limb and put it into the back into the aquarium or the cage. Yeah. Uh, there you have a group that cut the um, the limb was cut and they put the bioreactor on its own. And you have a group that the the limb was cut and you put the bioreactor that also has the uh, the five drugs. Mm. The multi Very drug. cruel having to cut their <laughs> limb off, I suppose. What else? Well, I think... Well, you have wouldn't to be happy. Well, you have to break some eggs to make an omelette, right? And... Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's the only way to say it. And the bioreactor was worn only for 24 hours, and after 24 hours was removed. So oh, that's okay. it. You only have it for 24 hours. And uh, so... And then the animals were maintained without any further intervention for up to 18 months with a periodic assessment for regeneration of the limbs. And the first thing that they noticed is that regenerative soft tissue length, uh, which was measured from the amputation plane to the distal tip of the regener re regenerate, that increased for all groups over the 18 months. But animals exposed to the uh, multiple drug treatment displayed significantly greater and complex tissue growth when compared to the other groups. And at the beginning, at, at the beginning, at nine months post post amputation, the MDT group displayed an increased tissue length relative to all groups, which was sustained until the final measurements at eight, 18 months oh, wow. uh, past amputation. So yeah. even though it was removed 24 hours, yeah. it was still yeah regenerative and this is so, like in uh, animals that were mature like they couldn't do this on they their were own. mature females yeah mm, interesting. um yeah it was it was really good and uh 76 percent of animals exposed to the mdt displayed thicker more complex regenerative morphologies relative to the featureless spikes uh, present on the non-treated group mm. Um, another thing that I found interesting was uh, how this treatment affected the bone regrowth. So it's not only the soft tissue, you actually, you actually get the bone to grow as well. So the 3D microcomputer tomography scans were used to assess the bone growth and remodeling. And these were done at the 18 months post-amputation. So at the very, that was the very endpoint measurement of the experiment. 
And at the end, again, the MDT group performed the best as it had significantly more, more bone regrowth. And that's in terms of dense, bone density bone <clears throat> and bone length. What was interesting is that bone growth interruption was observed in the MDT animals. The interruption was always observed at the position paralleling the intersection of the femur and the distal leg bones as evidenced by comparison uh, to the contralateral limb. This suggests that the regenerative processes were self-limiting based on the previously established anatomical boundaries, such as wow, joints. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy, isn't it? How does it know? How would it know what the I boundary was? I think it's the was? same way, in the same way your body knows that the ears have to be sticking out and not being the part of the skull. Yeah. It's, it's, so just, it just, it just, it's an intrinsic part. It has to be imprinted in, in all of us to know, so our body knows how it's our body supposed yeah. to look like. Isn't that crazy? God. That so basically the bone, the, bone grew, the bone grew to the point where it's supposed to stop yeah. and that's where it stopped. And examining the surface features of the newly formed bones revealed that MDT animals um, and not the non-treated or animals treated only with the bioreactor uh, detailed pattern topographies similar to the uncut contralateral bone, including ridges and depressions that are used as anchor points for muscles and connective tissues. So it all so just not, kind of came back. Yeah, so it's total. not only that it grew and stopped where it's supposed to stop, we already had like these morphological changes that are suitable mm. for bone and soft tissue attachment. Yeah. And that was only present in the group that was treated with the, um, with the, um, with the multi-cocktail drug compared and not yeah. in the other. I suppose the interesting thing you would want to know is like, okay, these had the capacity to do this. Would if you try to do this in a in an animal that doesn't have the capacity to do this, would yeah. you still get to see the same results? I think that would be have to be the next the next point, right? Yeah. Like trying to replicate that in the in the animal that perhaps Just, never had the regenerative abilities in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they also uh, yeah, but that's exactly right. It's exactly right what you said. And if I when was just, this paper done? When was this carried out? Uh, well, 2020, 2022, I think it was wow, released this year on, in January. Yeah, so it's very cutting edge. Like, was yeah, like? I, I mean, there was there was because I I found it first on the uh, Science Alert website where mm. where I usually look up the science news, and then that caught my attention first. And then I just kind of typed in the title of this paper into the Google search and I got like a lot of websites with like a media release kind of yeah. articles about it, you know, and it's not only like scientific pages, it was like loads of this kind of just commercial news websites that also, oh, yeah, yeah, but Huffington they, Post and yeah, but they kind of went the level up and they were like, oh, is limb regeneration possible in the near future? You know, it's, they kind of took blow it out, out of, of proportion, blow it out. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned the um, I mentioned the uh, blastema formation that is important, and they notice here that the animals that were exposed to the MDT group, their size of their blastema, uh, it could also be measured because it happens on the top of the of the of the wound. Uh, it was it was improportionally bigger compared to the other two animal groups. So this is another this kind of confirmation that. Uh, these biological features that are present in the animals that are able to regenerate, this could be actually the way to do it. Um, and if you could 
if you could generate this blastema formation in other animals, there is actually, that could be the way to kind of start uh, to give the signal necessary to start regrowing the yeah. these limbs. So in a sense, you, you, you prevent complete healing because you want to keep this blastema formation, which is not like a, a proper tissue that you can, you know, touch, poke. It's very sensitive because it's like a life. Uh, yeah, it's basically open wound yeah, trying to regenerate yeah. that's, it, uh, itself. That's the tricky part. Yeah. And that's why it's mostly possible for animals that live aquatic or semi-aquatic environment because, you know, imagine our wounds seal very quickly because it's all dry and you don't, you know, it's exposed into the air, whereas these animals can maintain this moist, wet environment just by being within the yeah. moist wet environment like you know yeah that's the tree thing as well like how in fact you have to try and prevent infection yeah and so, like, that's another big so part. when they did uh, like a transcriptomics uh, assessment on these groups just to kind of see differential expression of genes and such in the in the in these animals you there they notice like a, an increase in the expression of uh, pro-inflammatory and pro-immune response genes yeah. at the very early stages so perhaps maybe it is to maintain that to make sure that at the start no infections will get inside or anything anything nefarious will happen you want to make you want to like maybe sterilize the area well st quote unquote sterilize because you know a wild animal lives in the filthy river yeah, or something, yeah. but like just to maybe have the higher immune responses to kind of kill whatever possible pathogen can enter it. And then once this sort of blastema is being formed and you don't really have the access straight into, there is like some sort of membrane form over it, then the immune, uh, the genes that promote immune response are kind of uh, dumbing down. And in the animal models here, they notice that um, by day seven post amputation, there was a general uh, down regulations of this pro inflammatory responses, whereas it was really high uh, at the very few hours po post amputation. These yeah. responses were really yeah. elevated. Yeah. And I think another thing that I want to tell is that so it's very good that they were able to show. Um, that there is a soft tissue regeneration, that there is a bone growth, and that the bone grows properly in terms of the size and density and, and rigidity and, and, and morphology. But another very important thing is that you want to be able to, to sense something with that limb. You don't want to have a, a regrowed limb without any nervous system being connected to it because then it's just senseless, right? And you can't really perform any actions. You can't contract your muscles. You can't move because it all depends on the ability to regenerate the, the nerves around that tissue. Yeah. And and they actually showed that, um, that uh, oh yeah, sensory motor responses were investigated at 18 months post amputation. So at the very last uh, point to determine the presence of neural tissue, we conducted immunohistochemical analysis to assess peripheral nerve regeneration and re-innervation. So they used specific uh, stain staining and it revealed a significant increase in the number of nerve bundles within the MDT-treated animals compared to the other two groups. And next to that, uh, they assess the functionality of these nerves because they already know they're there because of the staining. Let's see if they work. So they use standard uh, VP filaments. Uh, the regenerate, a regenerated right hand limb was probed at the most distal end 
with the filament to increase pressure, and we observed that all MDT-treated hand limp regenerates displayed comparable stimulus response patterns to the matching uninjured animal group, and that indicating that they had regained significant re-intervention and neuromuscular reintegration, reintegration compared to normal functioning functionality pre-injury, regardless of the soft tissue patterning complexity. So basically what it's all saying is that when you poke the frog that had the new limb grown out, the responses are comparable to the frog that wasn't injured in the first place. Mm. Yeah. And of course, we can't show it here because it's an audio podcast, but in the paper they have like multiple photographs and pictures and you can really see the difference between uh, the size of the regrowth between the untreated uh, animal compared to the treated animal. You can see the morphological differences that were present. On the stainings, you can see how these tissues are present and they start forming these complex histological layers that would be expected to form. Um, you know, not everything is just a chaotic mash altogether, but there are like structural layers to it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we, we were able to, I think this paper showed us a lot um, I didn't get into a lot of these things, but that's for the sake of time. But the uh, the transcriptomic studies really showed what genes are important at what stages of the regeneration. Uh, and now this is something that we can go off, seeing if the same thing applies into the um, into the into the mammals or into the you know uh, yeah, animals that don't have this about. capacity. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So and one thing, so I kind of try to write down a few things that I have kind of questions and stuff like that. So of course we know that to some degree the limb regeneration is possible now, just even based on this paper. And we know that the multi-drug cocktail is really important because they were the best results. Yeah. But now that, for example, my question would be like, is limb regeneration, would that follow the same pattern as for example, when we develop from embryo? Because when we develop from embryo, there's obviously some creative yeah. processes taking place, right? Where we grow forming. head, limbs, forming forming processes. Is that would be the same process we want to replicate limb regeneration or is that completely different on unrelated, right? Well that's like that? you'd have to use stem cells and Yeah, but like that's that's what I that's what I was thinking. Another thing is like they were able to recruit to perform this on a quite small animal when the bioreactor re wasn't probably bigger than the tip of your finger, right? Yeah. So you can just insert that that hindered uh, limb in there. Like how big would it have to be for a human and how long would that take? Because for them it took like 18 months. Yeah. So over a year to kind the it wasn't a fully functioning limb that they grew, but it was like, it was definitely heading into that direction, right? But you can't, you can't carry this study for like, and how long does the, African clawed frog lives as well. Like maybe, maybe it would take longer for for the limb to grow than it does for the frog to live. Like you know. Yeah. yeah. So another question is, how long does it take, and can you speed speed it up? Well, like really, you'd how would you? I think you wouldn't be able to do like a whole limb. It'd be like max a finger. It seems to me off this as it is now. Yeah. Um. Because yeah, it seems like a very slow process. Um, and like what how would you even test this in humans like you'd have to do this like tip of a finger <laughs> like well it... i think you would go probably mouse and rat first yeah right because you, you have to you have to start somewhere maybe you work your way to uh primates yeah 
and see if it works on the primates. And then you just find few volunteers who are just, um, who are just, um, yeah. And that's the question because if you already have, if you already lost your limb, right? Yeah. Your wound is healed. It's that's, that's done. So for this to apply, would you have to like reopen the wound to get the access into the yeah, tissue? That's true. To, you know, so how quick after your limb loss, you would have to s start with the intervention because obviously for these frogs, they chopped off the leg and they didn't wait until the, the wound is healed. They just put the bioreactor straight on top of it. Yeah. So yeah. The, the cascade of events c can take place. So how much of this is kind of a interventional treatment at the moment of the injury versus how much of this could be applied to someone who is alre already has lost the limb. Yeah. And it's, that's it is, another thing that has to be, that's another thing that, assessed. you know, have to be assessed. Yeah. Hmm. But I, I just, I just thought it was the whole topic in itself is very futuristic. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I think, and I think this research has to be done Yeah, because yeah. if it's not going to get done, we will never know the answers yeah. to these questions. You have right? to start at the very, very fundamentals. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, uh, and obviously people who are involved with it are extremely talented and, um, yeah, it'll be so nice to talk to one of them. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe, maybe down the line, down the uh, line. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I think, um, it's super interesting. It's just like, yeah, I think something like this, will, the fact they've only done this as now, like very, very basic in a, an animal model that already can previously was capable of regenerative like it just seems like yeah it's something that's way in the future will we ever get to that far where we could maybe translate it to humans so i still yeah, think I, I listening know. to you i still think Neuralink and that with prosthetics seems like a more viable at this stage but like yeah i don't think they're not to say the research shouldn't be done but yeah, I, I think um, because it's so much, it seems like such a lot, a lot of processes you have to th think about and consider to try and regrow a limb, like the bone, the muscle, the nerves, then to make sure that it works, all this kind of stuff. So it's like, yeah, no, but I just, I, I don't think makes it so much is my... more. Sorry. Yeah, no, it, keep going, sorry. it just makes it seem like more infinitely harder to do, like exponentially, because you have to have such, such complex things working together. So, but yeah, I do think it's an interesting concept and, um, I, I know, but like, I think, yeah, I don't think Neuralink is that much easier, like realistically talking, like, you know, once they crack the mapping of the brain though, it seems oh, like, yeah. cause that's just walking the park, isn't it? <laughs> no one ever, there is no scientist that trying to understand the brain for years now. Yeah. I do think it's like that kind of thing if we if, once we have once you have the compu computational um power it would get easier so it should get easier in the future whereas like that's the thing you're talking about it seems like it it's still going to be difficult regardless of how far in the future you go so um well i don't know man like look at the <laughs> at the at the early 20th century like the first people started using airplanes and then out of the sudden in the 1960s, we landed on the moon. Mm, so we do make these leaps of development and, but, but it, I'm not saying that it will happen in the next 10 years. I definitely, this is definitely a, a research done to understand the processes, but 
it kind of i think that's perhaps what a little bit of science is also about not only being like how realistic this is to be achieved in this and this time frame so part of it is also you know just having these dreams and just trying to think about unthinkable and trying to get there like you know that's <laughs> sometimes that's also like fuels your engine and gives yeah. you and that makes this science more making it more science fiction makes it so that that's much more exciting and the journey is makes it work you know the journey is just that's more exciting it's not about the end point it's the journey i don't know i think it i think this research falls within the principles and philosophy of transhumanism and you know that transhumanism is something that i've you're very passionate about very passionate about and if, if you can say that there is anything i believe is that i believe in transhumanism <laughs> as an ideology and philosophy so yeah i was like i was really excited about reading re just reading this this paper you know because it's just yeah it's happening like things are happening like things that were unthinkable before we are doing it now so i think that's really beautiful <laughs> we're so like um Humanity is capable of great things. Oh yeah, I'm gonna write this down in my journal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that, so was, that was that uh, was. Any other any other final points? No, that's just. Uh, I just wanted to bring closer the topic of the um, of the slim regeneration on on the basis of this paper. Like you know, yeah. I probably I definitely didn't do justice to the topic because I thought it's gonna be like oh, I just look into it, have a few slides, but like it's so huge and it's so diverse that you know um i just couldn't encompass everything but i just i wanted to give like basically the the highlights yeah. of the fields and the highlights of this paper yeah no you did a good job i really thought it was interesting um yeah like let us know what you think of uh limb regeneration is it uh yes. are you as optimistic as tom or are you te team Evan on this subject? <laughs> yeah, team Evan or team Tom? Yeah, that's no on our Instagram or skeptically inclined at Twitter, skeptically I, and you can always email us uh, skeptically inclined at gmail.com. So, yeah, that was yeah. today's episode. Then, um, I think just to go over, we went over Tom got a new tattoo, he's repping uh, the the yeah barber <laughs> it's a straight razor, straight just razor say, yeah straight razor uh, yeah. i had a look into the new papers that were looking into the origins of covid19 and then tom gave us a nice overview of limb regeneration so yeah uh we actually next week for our next episode we have a guest coming on um his name is professor carol larue he's an expert in um obesity and uh kind of ways of tackling obesity not involving just dieting but like um cognitive changes or um that kind of way of thinking of treating obesity so rather than dieting or like gastric bypass surgery exercises it's kind of another way of treating it so i think it'll be a very interesting episode hope you can tune in for that yeah and if you anyone wants to ask any questions yeah let us know um just email us please um yeah, so it should be a very exciting episode. Hope you can come and join us. But uh, yeah, so that was it for today. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode and we will chat to you in the next one. Stay skeptical. Bye. Bye.